that just is sponsored by Harry's, the shaving company that offers German-engineered blades, well-designed handles, and shipping right to your door. Visit harrys.com for $5 off your first purchase with the promo code GIST. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Friday, June 19th, 2015. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pasca. And now The Gist presents This Week in Articulateness. Articulate Nation. Yes. The first citizen of Articulate Nation is Brian Williams. He's being given a chance to earn everyone's trust. That according to NBC News chairman Andrew Luck. If that's the bar, of course, he is going to clear it. Okay, he told some tall tales. But if not for that, he was kind of everything we wanted in an anchorman. He was handsome, a good writer, a good communicator, and yes, he was, remains, articulate. Brian Williams is extremely articulate. Here he is talking to Matt Lauer, but here's Matt Lauer laying out the ground rules. We both agreed there would be no conditions or guidelines placed on this interview. No guidelines? Well, except for the fact that you guys were friends and were colleagues and work for the same company, and it is a company that has an economic stake in Brian Lauer's continued success on the sister station of the station, Matt Lauer, where you are the biggest star. So yeah, I'd say that those are some sort of conditions. Maybe not since Willie Tyler interviewed Lester, were there more conditions? All right, that aside, here is Brian Williams being articulate. After that incident, I tried and failed, as others have tried and failed. And why is it when we're trying to say, I'm sorry, that we can't come out and say, I'm sorry? His articulateness, combined with his charisma and the skill he has for his craft, means that he will succeed on MSNBC. And you know who else succeeded on NBC was Rachel Dolezal. I want to talk about this interview that happened the other day. I know that her story is confusing and confused, but she wasn't the worst spokesman for herself. She was indeed articulate. How articulate? Well, not so articulate, not so convincing that I pause in using the word articulate to describe her Because if she had achieved that level of articulation, well, then she would be articulate indeed. So articulate that I would be unwilling to call her articulate. Last subject of this week in articulate, the statement, I don't judge. I've always hated this statement. Yeah, of course you judge. If you didn't judge, you'd be walking into traffic indiscriminately. You judge every day. You use judgment. Thank God you do. You probably mean I don't want to condemn or I try to exhibit empathy. But I don't judge may have just been dealt a crippling blow yesterday. So remember the phrase, I don't judge. Let's work backwards from that phrase. First, I'll tell you who spoke the phrase, a guy named Dalton Tyler. He is the roommate of Dylan Roof, the South Carolina shooter. Roof killed it is strongly suspected. He killed nine people while spewing racist rhetoric in Charleston, South Carolina. He lived a racist life. He was angry and armed, a horrible combination common in America. Here's what the roommate, Dalton Tyler, said. He was racist, but I don't judge people. Well, maybe you should have. Maybe you should have made an exception for hate speech, or at least hate speech coupled with weaponry. Please judge people. Judge a little bit. Why couldn't you have judged just this once? That is my message, and that is this week in articulation, articulateness, the act and habit of being articulate. 
On the show today, it's an Antan Twig. We dissect and digest and clarify many of the statements that we've articulated during the last three weeks. But first, do you have kids? Do they like anthropomorphized stuffed animal cartoons? Okay, even if they don't, there's this show called Doc McStuffins. It's on Disney Junior. It's cute, but it's smart too. Its creator, Chris Nee, joins me next. But first, let's hear a clip. This is six-year-old Dottie Doc McStuffins administering to one of her stuffed animals, or in this case, her robot. Ray. That's, that's, that's better. Ah. You were just stuck on super fast mode, Ray. You had a case of the zoom arounds. The zoom arounds, yes! Of course. But you're all better now, Ray. Yes, I am. If you look at the list of recent Peabody winners, there are some that might cause excitement. Amy Schumer won, Cosmos won, CNN's coverage of Nigerian schoolgirls won, BBC won. But you know what? For a certain cohort, none of these would matter. There is one breakout winner. This is the best in broadcasting, and it is Doc McStuffins. It is described as charming, sweet, and gently humorous. It's an animated series featuring an African-American physician's daughter who attends to damaged stuffed animals. And I've got to say, my kids love this show. If you want to judge a show based on is it achieving what it's trying to achieve, Doc McStuffins knocks it out of the park. The creator of Doc McStuffins is here, Chris Nee. Hello, Chris. Hello. Um, can I just say gently humorous? I like to think we're <laughs> I know, like... Right? You go for I think, it. I think. I think we have some humor, and yeah. I don't think it's gentle. I, well, compared to Amy Schumer, I Well, guess. I was actually going to say, I think it's a little <laughs> awkward that we are both getting it on the same night because our material is so similar. Pretty much. That guy, Bobby, just texted me. The one who wouldn't hook up with you because he said you look like his mom? Maybe it's time for us to call for help. I heard that Bruce Willis just got engaged to a girl who is 24 years younger than him. And I heard that she is an actual baby lamb. What? I'm a little scared. How about something cool to drink, you guys? Yeah! Cool. You know, I mean, I think there might be a showdown. When you did that 12 Angry Stuffed Animals we, episode. Yes, and by the way, yeah. we have been working on a 12 <laughs> Angry Stuffed Animal episode. It will be very similar. So what's your background? Kids or humor or other stuff? Uh, I, I am really an odd, odd mix. I started at Sesame Street, doing Sesame Street International, um, and very early in my career found myself in the Middle East doing the Israeli-Palestinian Sesame Street. But that's an uh, amazing show. Incredible. That show, I mean, of all the kids' shows in the world, yes. that is the one oh, that you started most the, yes. builds bridges. Yes, yes, and you're pretty much like you're starting your career at the penultimate and it's going to be downhill from there yeah, uh, yeah, is yeah. the fear, but I seem to have done all right. But you know, like but I also had, International Sesame Street doesn't, aren't aren't Big Bird's uh, uh, plumage different internationally? Well, he's actually, Big Bird or... is only, uh, the, the characters who are on the street in Sesame Street, for the most part, do not appear around the world. So they create their own street, yeah. which was one of the amazing things about the Israeli-Palestinian version because even in a Muppet world, they could not picture there being one street. And I remember sitting for two weeks in a conference room at Lincoln Center, you know, having that debate. And at the end of it, it was like, no, 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 not even with Muppets. Is that possible? So it was like there were two streets and there was a park in the middle and that's where they met. Um, But like I had the greatest job in the world. I was like in my mid to late 20s. I was traveling around the world doing Sesame Street and I could have stayed there for the rest of my life. Unfortunately, I wanted to be a writer. But I basically went from there, and then I had the craziest career because I I, I ended up producing uh, the early seasons of The Deadliest Catch. There's a super typhoon forming south of Japan. Watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out. Deadliest Catch. 
Watch new season Tuesday at 9 on Discovery. Really? Uh, so, you know, I was uh, off in Alaska uh, hanging out in a bar in uh, Dutch Harbor with Mike Rowe uh, on the first two seasons, you know, for months on end, uh, living in an old World War II barracks. And then, you know, at the end of these nights, I'm like, you know, you're in Alaska, you survive because you talk like this and you just got to <laughs> tough it up up there. And I'd be like, all right, guys, I got to get back to my room. And I would go back to my room and I would open up my computer and I would have like a, a freelance version a script for like Backyardigans do or... <laughs> <laughs> or the Wonder Pets, <laughs> and I had to write it in my hotel at night and like send it off. And uh, you know, like I, I I wrote the 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 first Wonder Pets Christmas special uh-huh. uh, f- after being in the Elbow Room, which is the most dangerous bar in the world in the seventies in Dutch Harbor. That one that you wrote was that the one where Ming Ming took the bar stool to the skull? <laughs> yes, was exactly. Was that the one uh, where Tuck uh, got drunk uh, on uh, fire water? <laughs> passed to, be, out? to be honest, that was the one, and it may have happened on the same night where uh, I, I tried to get to know the locals and, and tried to get in on a uh, darts game and uh, and the guys were like oh yeah and they pulled out like the most beautiful custom darts and I was like oh I, and I was like you know what I'm not really like if you guys just want to play each other I just you know it's and they were like no it's all right and I said something you know it's all fun and game until someone loses and it, like, he turned and he had the glass eye and I was like because ah, like people really had hooks for hands sure. there in yeah. Dutch Harbor like regularly you would just be like, huh? <laughs> so then was writing these kids shows a refuge for you? Did you uh, psychologically, definitely. did it help? Absolutely. And I and I have always, one of the reasons I think I gravitated towards and was good at writing kids material, and I think the greatest of kids material touches on, uh, you know, much deeper, broader themes that you can come back as an adult and you see what someone's writing about, that it feels very true, that it's that it's respecting that life is, in fact, such high drama and high stakes when you're a kid. And I bring a lot of that uh, sort of passion for my life. I, I wrote an episode for another show that was about a kid being afraid at uh, at Halloween, and, and I was writing Reading Night at the time. And I, yeah. and I like, I, I, like, that's the kind of stuff I'm trying to bring to it, something real and and universal. Well, it's good because you always hear these horror stories about people who work in children's entertainment, not CTW, not children television workshop, but other places. Maybe that's more so c- old school CTW. Yeah. That's that's what it was when I that's worked there. Yeah, but other places that are maybe more cynical and more about maximizing profit, and and the people in it get real get really jaded, and they maybe hate their jobs. But maybe it's because they've only been in it. You know, I think there are a lot of different pieces to the people who work there. I, I think for some people, it is they feel like they're in the stepchild of what's cool in TV yeah, and yeah. so you know did you had you always pictured that you were going to be writing Mad Max and instead you're uh, writing Max and Ruby I mean you know maybe life's not exactly turning out the way you wanted it to that's a possibility and then I think there are the people who you know some of the things that we all talk about still to this day are the great books that captured something real about our lives as a kid, whether it's up to Phantom Tollbooth, you know, if you're talking about Maurice Sendak, yeah. those things. And I don't, I I will never get to those places in my life. But the people who are doing this because they seem to have some facility to to remember those moments of childhood and what they really felt like and and are able to shine a light on them, I think those people are pretty darn happy to be there. You know, the creator of anything, I would imagine that Bo Willeman, creator of House of Cards, well, okay, so his next series, he's thinking of it. You know, he's taking in all these real-world influences 
and he doesn't have to translate it into kid. He's yeah. an adult. Yeah. He's seeing the world as an adult. Yes. There's not that step. So do you have to translate it into the kid way of looking at it, or do you engage more in things that kids are looking at? What's that mental process like? No, and I, and I actually think the people who are the most successful and the people that I love as kids' writers don't see writing for kids. They don't see the box. And there are sometimes okay. where you take people who normally write for an older age group and, and you give them a shot writing in this age group, and you can tell that all they see is the box. They, they, that is what they're seeing is what they can't write, and they're totally confused by it. I sort of liken it to, um, you know, there are those comedians who choose to uh, not work blue and who, you know, the ones who say, like, I'm going to, my challenge is to not swear when I'm doing, it's like they're giving themselves a challenge that allows them to then uh, find some freedom and something else about what they do. And that's how I feel about writing for kids. So Yeah, I I think that creativity flourishes with rules. Yes, exactly. And And, those are are the rules. And and they're not bad rules, yeah. And, 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 um, uh, I was actually just talking to my writing staff about this last week was just to remember that, you know, for me, some of the speeches that I love the most. Now, I don't know what other people take from it, but like there's a there's a scene where Chili uh, falls on his back, see the, sees the sky, clearly thinks he's died. He doesn't say that, but clearly does. And he he does the Our Town Goodbye speech. And that's what I meant when I wrote it. I was like, what is Chili's Our Town Goodbye? What does he say goodbye to while he's looking? And then all of a sudden, you know, a bird flies over and he realizes it's it's just the sky. But I'm always trying to do those things when I'm writing, and I yeah, I laugh my tushula off while I'm doing it. I just make myself laugh all day long. <laughs> okay, so do you in the writer's room, do you break – it's all episodic. You don't build from one to the other. But do you generally say, here's a place I want to take her this season? Yeah, we, we have overall somewhat uh, for each season, and we also just try to regularly sit down and go, okay – what character hasn't gotten there yeah. big, you know, in this half a season? All right, we've done a very clear Lammy story. We've done a clear Chili story. Uh, we haven't done a Hallie story. Let's make sure we're doing that. You know, for us, there's so many different ways in. Sometimes it is medical stuff that I that's like, you know, it had been a while before we actually got a, a an episode in with a wheelchair. And when we did, like, that was great. And I was like to get to do that. You know, one of the five main characters is, is Squeakers, who's a squeaky toy who doesn't have an actor. He just is squeaks. And uh, season one, we read an episode for him called To Squeak or Not To Squeak. And S&P, Standards and Practices, decided he lost his squeaker. And they decided that he was too small a toy. And so his squeaker was too to- small and it was chokeable. Oh. And so uh, Squeakers was fired from start being starring in his own episode. And we had to actually bring in another squeaky toy who is bigger. And uh, clearly, I don't know if you can sense the bitterness on that character, but he's been there as a main cast member for five years and yeah. has never had his own story and got fired from his own story that was named after him. And who will speak for Squeakers? Um, well, I got to tell you, we now we finally have an episode where Squeakers is the lead, and it is the only one of our cards that says "Starring Squeakers" on our board. So, um, how'd you get around it? How'd you placate? It's just a different. It's a different story that does not involve. Okay. And, it doesn't, uh, it, it yeah. doesn't involve the Squeaker, but it did take us four years, which may mean we're not that good. Or do you know. do the old SNL technique, which is submitting scripts that they know the censor, standard and practices person is going to break down on, just to get the one you want? I definitely believe in uh, submitting jokes. Yes. That I think it helps everyone. Okay, give me one. 
we had the we had something about delicate snowballs at one point um, <laughs> that actually made it way further than I thought it would. But yeah, we we throw stuff in there, and again, it keeps us engaged. It keeps everyone engaged. I know I, there are always first draft jokes that I know are going to come out. So one of the things, I mean, it's right there in the citation for the Peabody uh, featuring an African American physician's daughter. I know that this is a point of emphasis. There's a lagging diversity in books and the children's book world is having huge kerfuffle about this. But on TV shows, there actually is a lot of diversity, I think, with a lot of the characters. I mean, you mentioned the Backyardigans. So these characters have no race, quote unquote. But Uniqua is clearly speaking in the African-American dialect. But that said, there had not been a leading character and there certainly had not been a leading girl and there hadn't been a leading character in in the sort of young kid space since Little Bill. And I think Doc is the the first, yeah, exactly, which I also wrote for. But, and I will say that it has become a point of emphasis, but I don't think we, I don't think we set out to do that. I think we we made a very distinct choice that there with that Disney was looking for more diversity Did on the channel. Did you pitch the show with her as uh, No, African, I actually yeah. had no artwork. I was very cheeky. I've been doing this a long time and I knew the people at Disney and I... I did not want to pay for the artwork myself, so I went in and pitched. I knew it was a great idea, and I went in and pitched it without artwork. And in the first conversation, they said we they were looking for more diversity on the channel, and how would I feel about that? And I was like, that's great. So we did the first designs that way, and that was kind of it. And, and then you just kind of write a family, which is something that I had learned on Little Bill. You're just writing a family, and we kind of forgot about it. And then as it came out, we sort of realized it was bigger. We knew that it would mean something. I'm just not sure we knew it would mean so much. Are there episodes where anything other than the characters, the literally the hue of their skin is darker than you would normally seen? But are there other parts of episodes where it's clearly about the African-American experience in a way? Um, we did an episode that was about hair and little girls and their feelings about curly hair and straight hair. And that was one of those times where we were able to definitely lean into that. And and I, there was a point where I said, you know, we're the show that can do this story and therefore we should and talk about, uh, you know, black girls being happy with their hair. Um, We also, of course, are doing... uh, Audra McDonald uh, did an episode with us about Bessie Coleman, who was, you know, an African-American female pilot in the 1940s. And so uh, we, we do as much as we can, but I also think... Our show is is definitely the show that's about it not being the issue. Yeah. And the Dragon American community, are they on board? Oh, my God. They're so <laughs> on board. They're very excited. The squeaky uh, community has been up in arms, frankly, but they, they don't have much to say. They just squeak. Chris Nee is the creator of the Peabody Award winning yeah. and Pesca Sun loving Doc McStuffins. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. People twist themselves into knots to try to get the most out of their razors. I mean, these things are expensive, like third, fourth mortgage expensive. And I was reading on a how to get the most out of your razor website. You know, it's my landing page. If you use one of those whoosh, air, air in a can things that you're supposed to use for your keyboard, you'll extend the life of your razor. But then you're the dude using an air in a can thing on your razor blades. Do you want to be that guy? Excuse me, honey. Before I go, I've got to air blast my razors. So why not just buy a product that pays for itself in the savings on air cans? They offer an amazing shave at a fraction of the price. What do we mean by a fraction of the price? Let's talk price. Again, quality is there. Here's the price. The starter set's $15. 
It includes the razor. And that's probably the most notable thing about Harry's. The actual handle is, you know, pretty exquisite. If you are into the look and feel of things, you get three blades and you get your choice of Harry's shave cream or foaming gel. For 15 bucks, I use the shave cream. As an added bonus, you could get $5 off your first purchase by using my code GIST. I'll do that math. We started at 15. We subtract five. Three blades, shaving cream, 10 bucks. This is as good a deal as I've ever mentioned. Shipping is always free. Got to mention that too. Go to harrys.com now and Harry's will give you $5 off if you type in my code GIST with your first purchase. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com and enter code GIST at checkout for $5 off the starter set and start shaving smarter today. And now the spiel, it's an Antan twig. Every three weeks we assemble, as in a Quaker meeting house, as in a breakout session at a trade show, like when Loki threatens the universe via a wormhole. Antan twig, assemble! So just like a fortnight, that means two weeks, the old English word Antan twig, that means three weeks. Oh, you won't find it in any of your fancy learning books. In this episode of the Antan twig, you also won't find it actually literally every three weeks because the schedule sometimes gets thrown off. And so do I. Like when I was talking about David and his slingshot, but in fact, David used a sling. Sling does not equal slingshot. That was the entire tweet of Blake Mitchell, who I credit. I want to say I got it wrong. I also want to compliment Blake tweeting in 51 characters. Blake could have gotten it down to 39 if he had used the not equal sign. To access the not equal sign, go to Unicode 2260, which is very hard to figure out because you go on the websites and you ask, how do I get the not equal sign? And it says, oh, that's not equal Unicode 2260. I don't want to know what it's not equal to. I want to know what it's equal to. You get it? Get my conundrum? I think you do. All right. Here's something that's also complicated about the Antan twig. It's not Antan twig. It's the, the, the. We made a big deal about Magna Carta, sometimes called the Magna Carta. And I got a couple of messages that indicated, yeah, don't wrap yourself up about this. Yeah, Latin whatevs. And whatevs, of course, being Latin for big whoop. But Jim Nelson and Pablo Perez Doors both wrote on Facebook that calling it Magna Carta instead of the Magna Carta, is t- it's just an affectation. It's like calling the Tiber River, Tiber River. You know, Tiber River is technically what you're supposed to call it. But, you know, it's become a word in English. Just call it the. I respond to that. I also responded to Cameron Jennings, who wrote some other related minutia. The Grand Canyon is actually just Grand Canyon. That is true. I looked it up. Grand Canyon National Park. Now, it is the Jeep Grand Cherokee. It is the Styx album, The Grand Illusion. It is the Grand Mufti of Islam, which literally means the Great Expounder. Can I put in for that? So, Grand Mufti, the Grand Mufti, but no Grand, just Grand Moff Tarkin in Star Wars. Now, it is the Hundred Grand Bar, but it used to be, in 1985 and earlier, the Hundred Thousand Dollar Bar. Listen. The fantastic thing about that commercial is that there is a visual of the $100,000 bar. They come in uh, two bars, two bars per pack. And the bars are being laid in the wrapper, the candy wrapper. And it's being put there with tongs, pictured or tongs. <laughs> They're gently placed in the hand-woven wrapper, oh so delicately laid down, like a newborn in its mother's arms for the first time, is this candy bar. But there was other the news this week. There was the layoffs at a popular 
though not as popular as it used to be, retail chain. And Gap announcing yesterday that it will shut down 175. Gap announced Monday that 175. Why is Gap closing more stores here? Gap. When did the Gap become Gap? There is that gap in my knowledge. Well, it didn't become Gap everywhere like these places. The bright spot of the Gap. Uh, when you see the Gap closing a third of its stores. Yeah, it is. Amount. You know, the Gap is trending this morning, but not for very good reasons. The that last one was from a San Francisco news station where the Gap was based. It was based in San Francisco. So I think, still is, so I think everyone in San Francisco in the Bay Area is pretty used to calling it the Gap. It used to always be called The Gap. I could prove this. I'm going to play another old commercial. Happy days are coming your way. The Gap is having a sale. Happy day. Look good for less than... All right, here's the visuals there. No tongs, but three young ladies in designer jeans sitting, you heard the Christmas flair, sitting on Santa's lap. But the commercial ends when the announcer guy, who's sort of an Ed Norton with Fisher Stevens tresses, when he pops a squat on the lap of St. Nick also, I hope he stuck the landing and indeed did not fall into the gap. So now comes the time when I award a lopstar, the listener, tweeter, Facebook user, or interactor who distinguishes himself or herself this week. And this week, it's a herself. It's Janine Orico. Janine is a frequent correspondent, but she really deserves it. She really does. Here's some of the things she writes. She uh, crunches the numbers on the show. She told me that the longest spiel ever was 12 minutes on frozen custard. Andrea, do you remember that? I have no recollection of the frozen custard 12-minute spiel. She said the shortest spiel ever was two minutes on Cavalier King Charles Spaniels. Do you remember that? I have no recollection. She said the worst mispronunciation was when you call cond- when, when I called Condoleezza Rice condolence. Did I? Yes. That, yes. And- yes. Yes. That yeah, definitely I definitely happened. called her. Yeah. And what happened? Did you stop? Did we stop? I just went on and then you were listening to her and you're like, he definitely said condolence, Rice. Like afraid to talk about it because now we have to go back and find the clip and play it, and oh. we just have zero recollection. <laughs> yeah, we don't know. That's Mike, we're point. on episode two eighty one. You know okay. how many hours we have to listen back. But you to? know, in a lot of cultures, condolence rice is very useful. It helps the healing. <laughs> so I, I endorse condolence no. rice. No. Uh, Janine also said that she loves the song guy so much, and she she suggested we do a segment on songs where the singer says his or her name. Britney in Alabama shakes, or Britney Spears does it. George Thurgood does it. Yeah, I know that George Thurgood song when he does it. David Lee Roth does it. And then she once sent me this and said, on a different note, you sure seem crabby in today's show. I think you will win points with the Slate audience. Nicely done. So Janina Rico, you deserve it. You requested that your name be read over a music bed. Let's oblige. Your choice, Andrea, as I say, Janine Orico, you are the lop star of the Antent Twig. And that's it for today's show. Canyons, Bahamas, Producer Andrea Salenzi, Central, Central Station, Central Terminal, no, uh, Managing Producer Joe Meyer, uh, A Concourse in the Bronx, Slams, uh, Executive Producer Andy Bowers, Rapids, Michigan, The Scheme of Things, The Budapest Hotel, Nothing Old Flag, The Type of Standing that Donald Trump does, oh, now you got it, Things That Are Grand, yes, thanks for listening. Hey, 
Hey, it's John Dickerson of Whistle Stop, a podcast of presidential campaign curiosities. This week, we're going to be curious about the Eagleton Affair, which sounds like a John le Carré novel, but in fact was the event that torpedoed the McGovern campaign and may indeed have set liberalism back a generation. You can check us out on Slate.com slash Whistle Stop or on iTunes or on your favorite podcast app. 